now. Get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, if you say so, good morning. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension, Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash FarmerFredDailyGardenTips. Uh, lots of snark at uh, the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. There is a garden dialogue going on constantly. And what else? Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, it's all there because it's the 21st century. On today's AM radio show here, we will be talking with Debbie Flower. I'm glad you're here. Yep, I'm here. I made it. All right. From Alaska. Yeah, well, that's where I was last week. Okay, next week it's New York. Next week it's New York. (laughs) Yeah, because uh, you're not... uh, I'm not tied to a job. You're not hectoring 18-year-olds. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and above. Yes, and above. And uh, explaining the basics every year. You come on this program to do that. Yep. <laughs> or right. I visit Alaska and, <laughs> and advise the woman on her greenhouse. Yeah, that that must be so weird to be a gardener in Alaska because you're just really, really busy, I guess, from July through <laughs> Labor Day, I guess. Right. <laughs> right. Yes, I was at the Alaska State Fair last week, and the flowers in bloom were just gorgeous. But it ranged ranged from sweet peas uh, to calendula to zinnias. You know, things that we would plant, and snapdragons were all blooming at the same time. Gorgeous containers, hanging pots, uh, a fence covered with sweet peas. It was just incredible. You know, that bright, vibrant color, and it was. Like 70 degrees, maybe maybe as high as 70 degrees, and slightly cloudy and slightly moist, so the colors were just incredibly vibrant. And how low at night? It, uh, well, see, the sun doesn't go down. The only time I saw the sun was when we had to get up at 4 a.m. Uh, I'm sorry, the only time I saw darkness was when we had to get up at 4 a.m. to go to the airport to fly home. Um, and it, it, it I want to say 50, low 50s, okay. low to mid 50s. So pleasant. Very yeah, the whole yeah. time very pleasant and pleasant for plants. Really nice growing conditions for plants. So which went down first, the sun or you in the evening? Oh me, okay. uh, every night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because even though it's late August, there's probably still 19 hours of sunlight. Yes, and and that's uh, what do plants do when they have 19 hours of sunlight? They grow really fast. They do. So so you can Google the uh, 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 champion. Um, Cabbage, the weigh-in was yesterday at the Alaska State Fair, and it was, uh, what did we see, 83 pounds? Um, of cabbage? Of cabbage, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. It's a lot of cabbage. Do they have a cabbage festival? Uh, it's good. good question. I don't know. They should. Yeah. I talked to a, park, a national park ranger, and she said she's a vegetarian, she told me, and, and her boss brought in these giant leaves. She said they were like two and a half feet long and, and a foot wide, and she didn't know what they were. And her boss said, here, these are for you. They're from my garden. And she thought they were, um, uh, oh, eaten in the south. We can grow them here. It's a green. Okra? Uh, no. Um, Pope ha- salad. Ham hocks and. Chitlins. Uh, um, oh, it's a green. I've uh, grown it and I cooked it. It takes forever to cook. But that wasn't what it was. What it oh. was was cabbage leaves. Oh. And and she, they're still very sweet, even though they grow really huge. They're still very sweet. It'll, but, that word will come to us. It will. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or, or somebody's going to tell us 
at 576-1578 or at 866-331-8255 or email sent to Fred at FarmerFred.com. We'll get to the bottom of that. Yeah. Uh, did you, were, you were gone during the saga of the uh, Roseville High School Titan Aram non-blooming event. Well, I did check my Facebook when I could, and of mm-hmm. course you did a great job reporting. Uh, did it ever open? No, it did not open, and they, C.J. Addington, the science teacher at Roseville High, told us last week that uh, it took a while for him to figure it out with the help with uh, Ernesto Sandoval from UC right. Davis mm-hmm. that uh, it was too much light, that oh. there, there was a security light outside the greenhouse that was on all night long. So this particular plant, this uh, uh, corpse flower plant, the Titanarum, was never had a dark period, and it like a... Like a, um, oh my goodness, my brain is A day-length regulated flowering plant. I don't know. Like a poinsettia. I would question yeah. that. Oh, really? Because, right. number one, the strength of light from a security light is typically very low. We can see, but we have eyes with pupils that can get bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would want to get out there with a light meter and check. But number two, more important, and you wouldn't have to use a light meter for this, is like a poinsettia, if you don't give it the correct amount of darkness, it will never form the flower in the first place. Right. So the tit- that titanarum formed a flower. It had a bud. It won't, but it won't even form a bud if it's oh, got okay. the wrong All right. uh, uh, light exposure. Well, they'll try again. Is it in a container? It, it probably is. It has to be, yeah, I think. Yeah, and it's going to die back to a bulb. I'm and, wondering about got things like too. moisture... Uh, uh, re- I was thinking heat. Yes. But it's in a greenhouse. Well, a greenhouse at this time of year. I don't know about yours. Mine used to get to 120. Yeah, mine has the door wide open yeah. all the time now, and it gets lots of water, and the fan runs, and it's very hard to keep a greenhouse cool enough. That is the big problem And they problem are a here. mountain plant. Yes, it is. It is a problem. Yeah, it's easier to heat a greenhouse than it is to keep Absolutely. it cool. Absolutely. Someday so, I'll get another greenhouse. Yeah. I miss my greenhouse. Oh, you can come visit mine. <laughs> okay, thanks. All right. Visitation rights. All right. Uh, yeah, but uh, it's amazing the role light plays in whether a plant performs or doesn't perform. And getting back to what you saw in Alaska, I'm mm-hmm. surprised uh, that they don't need a period of darkness in order to set. But in the case well, of the cabbage plants, that doesn't flower, right. it's not a big deal. Right. The plants they're growing uh, are day neutral is what we would call them. Uh, in the cabbage is not the cabbage needs uh, long uh, uh, long days. I want to say to flower. That's why we grow it in the winter because the days are short. Um, in fact, you you would start cabbage, I believe, in July, and then you grow them as the days are getting shorter and shorter. And it's the trend of the day length. It's not the actual day length that matters to a plant. Oh, so as far as getting longer or getting shorter. Yes. Yeah. So as days are getting shorter, the cabbage remains in vegetative uh, state as the days get longer. But that doesn't make sense. Then all the ones in Alaska should be bolting. Right. And uh, they don't have time to bolt. It gets too cold too quickly. That could be, that could be the case. Because <laughs> yes. uh, temperature, it is a temperature day length uh, interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yes. The soils never get very warm up there. Uh, yeah, that's the other thing, too, is that uh, the plants that are growing there are what we would consider cool season annuals here. They need that cooler temperature. Except they did have zinnias. Yeah, that's weird. It is weird. Yeah. It was an odd combination. 
and there wasn't a master gardener table or a horticulture display or a, other than the the fl- cut flowers. You know, I, there wasn't somebody I could readily ask. I would have to seek them out, and I didn't uh, make that happen. Tell me about the mosquitoes of Alaska. Zippo. Really? We didn't have any. Oh, because well, all you one hear- night in Anchorage we did. We, but you know, you're at the coast, and there's always a wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Anchorage is at the coast, and Kodiak. Those were the two. Uh, well, and I went to Whittier. Uh, they're all at the coast, and you get a wind, and that keeps uh, mosquitoes out. But the woman whose house we were renting in Kodiak said they don't get any insects at all. Ah, except there were flies in her greenhouse, and she was mortified. But she was getting squash and, and cucumber, and I said, well, somebody's got to be doing the pollinating here. I think these flies are doing you a favor, because uh, there were no bees in her greenhouse, just flies. Yeah, in, in a greenhouse situation, if you don't have moving air, at least, or you're there with a little brush to move pollen right. around, uh, flies would be it. Yes. Yeah. So flies were pollinating her, her, uh, her uh, cucurbits. Yep. To go back to your question of when to plant uh, cabbages here... According to the handy-dandy Farmer Fred interactive planting calendar at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page, from seed or from plants starting in August, then plants September, October, November. Okay, I was close. A little early. And February. So there's that. All right. Here's Collard greens, yes! Collard greens is the word we're looking for. Who do we have to thank for that? Mina from Sacramento. Thank you, Mina. Yes, says leafy green being cooked was collard. Yes. I knew it began with a C. yes. Of course, yes. I, I say that with every word I can't think of. It begins with a C, <laughs> but in this case, yes. See collard, you later. All right, collard greens. Yes, exactly. And people do grow collard greens. Yes, right? I have done it. Mm-hmm. All right, what'd you use them in? Well, <laughs> just <laughs> their own thing, but it takes a tremendous amount of cooking, a lo- hours and hours and hours of cooking. Like poke salad. I have never had poke salad. You don't want to. Well, I don't want to grow pokeweed either. <laughs> yes, I know, exactly. But for processing, it, it is a long cooking yeah, process to get the is. toxins out. Is that what it is? Yeah. I, I my, uh, And correct me if I'm wrong, I thought for the collard it was just to make it... Uh, Edible? Uh, yeah, chewable. Yeah. Uh, that it was too... Like kale. Yeah, kale can be pretty... Uh, stiff. Yeah. And some people think chard should be treated that way too, although I like chard raw. But a lot of people. I like charred raw, yeah, and I'll cut out the uh, uh, rib. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's so nice about charred. There are just so many different varieties with different colored ribs. Mm-hmm. And it really is pretty in the garden. Mm-hmm. And though they don't get to Alaska size, but they're still rather dramatic, getting about 12 inches long or so. Right. You get a lot of good food out of them. Yeah. So yeah. if you're and looking. Pretty food. If you're looking for ornamental edibles uh, for your yard for the cool seasons, uh, charred and kale. Although green kale is much tastier than the colored kale versions. Oh, okay. I haven't eaten the colored kale versions. It's kind of bitter. Oh, okay. And the green kale is a little bit sweeter. In Alaska, they grew parsley in the ornamental garden. Okay. <laughs> I can see that. It's pretty nice, dark green, leafy. Yeah. All right. We'll take and it. I had, oh, I'm sorry. And I had uh, homegrown celery in Alaska. That was good. Celery is a trick to grow here. Yes, it's, it's a, bitter it's a, here yeah, and tough. It's a, a coastal crop. Yes. All right. We'll take a short break. When we come back, people with questions on the phone, we'll talk about tomatoes and high heat and things like that there. When we come back to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. 
Welcome back to the program. Fred here. Debbie Flower is here. Yep. We're, we're answering your gardening questions. Let's go to the phones. Let's uh, stick here in Sacramento, talk with Linda. Linda, thanks for giving us a call. Well, hi, Fred. Hi, uh, hi Debbie. Hi. Uh, I tell you, when I listen to people say, including you, Fred, well, the tomatoes are smaller this year because I, I'm telling you, I have had almost zero harvest since oh my. that fruit in late June. Well, that'd be the, the heat. The temperature. That's very yeah, small. Yeah, so, but how do people get any fruit to set? I, I, this year I have, I forget it. I just, uh, there were about five days in like the third week of August where it got down under 90 for a few days. I think mm-hmm. a few cherries set. But uh, is it, has am I the only one that's had that disastrous a year? Well, let's talk a little bit about why tomatoes, did you see tomato flowers? I saw tomato flowers, but they quickly dropped. Okay. They didn't yeah. create. That could be a function yeah. of the heat uh, because flowers will drop. What is it, over 90 degrees? Yes. Debbie? And we certainly had 30 days of 90 degree heat and above in July right. to set they, a new they record. They told us the that. Average, yes. The average temp in July was 98, something like that. So when we're not talking about just over 90, yeah, that's why way over 90. I'm wondering, and Debbie, you lived in Arizona, so you have more familiarity with gardening in high heat situations. Is Sacramento facing a future of cherry tomatoes and that's it? Well, I grew uh, standard tomatoes in Arizona, um, but my, I sighted them and my peppers so they got afternoon shade from a mulberry tree. Mm. Um, the other thing to, to watch is, is your watering and watering is, people say, oh, I know how to water. Well, it's a very, it's not that simple. Uh, to, you need to get enough water on and it needs to go deep enough. Uh, so you're in order to get tomatoes in our climate, when, if we're going to continue to have these hot summers, we need to figure out ways to cool the plant down. So one is afternoon shade, planting it on the east side of something that's going to provide shade. Uh, another is uh, watering, and this is another case where I don't follow the rules that everybody uh, states. Fred's eye- eyebrows go up. Well, no, I mean, the, 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 every, the theories are all over the map yes. when it comes to watering. And uh, my, I go back to Farmer Fred rule number six. If it works for you, fine. Okay, so wor- what works for me when I have tomatoes, and I don't have any tomatoes or peppers this year, but... Um, is I would water at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm doing drip mm-hmm. under mulch. There so I'm not losing a lot to evaporation. That's a big reason you don't water uh, after 10 in the morning is you don't want to lose water to evaporation. Explain but your drip system. My drip system is the inline Netafim type uh, emitter. I use the quarter inch uh, system with a, an emitter every six inches and I space the uh, line six inches apart across the bed. So if it's quarter inch line, that means it's a half gallon emitters. Half gallon an hour, right? And how many emitters do you have around each plant? I just do the whole grid. I okay. I, I do a and the, the lines are spaced how far apart? Six inches. If the oh, emitters okay. are six inches, the lines are six inches. Okay. If the emitters are a foot, the lines are are, are a foot. And I uh, and then you uh, they have to be run for a long time. So. Uh, because half gallon an hour, half gallon of water is not very much water. No. Uh, and and so, um, and that's experimental. That has to do with your soil type and whether you've got layers and how much organic matter you have in there. And so you have to learn how much water it takes to, uh, ha- uh, how long you need to run your system to wet the whole root zone of your plants. And I would want to go, uh, certainly a foot, two feet would be better deep. And to do that, you get a stick. I use a, a, a 
steak, you know, mm-hmm. a bamboo steak that I would have uh, to hold up some other plant in the garden and push it down. And when it stops, you've reached the dry soil or you've reached a, 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 a layer of some sort in your soil mm-hmm. and the water's not going to go further anyway. Pull or if you out. live in Folsom, you hit a rock. Yeah. Yeah. Or Gold River or mm-hmm. El Dorado Hills. Yeah. Up the hills. Um, so so that... Uh, but what America wants to know, Debbie, is, okay, how long are you running this irrigation system? I'd have to look at my well, timer. Uh, yeah. I know in the rest of my yard, it's uh, two hours or more, okay. depending on what the plants are. So that would basically be uh, one gallon of water. Right, every yeah. six inches. Yeah. One gallon of water. Like, and Yeah, and the, the root zone of that tomato plant, for example would probably encompass below one, two, three, four, maybe eight emitters. And it can go very deep. Yeah. And I would also water in the morning sometimes. And yeah. I would go out and check. And, and so it's all about cooling these plants off somehow. Yeah. Even though you're in well, violation uh, of every water agency in the Sacramento area. Water but I got drip. Yeah, it's amazing. Drip under mulch. Yeah, I you know. can get away with a lot with drip <laughs> under go. mulch. Yes, exactly. You can't see any runoff with can't that. Can't see runoff. And, and there are actual uh, exemptions for, for uh, inline drip. I am amazed at the how some agencies do not have a drip exemption. Oh, okay. And so you got to know your water agency. You got, yes, and there are zillions of those. So yeah. You have to know which one you're under. Who so, you pay your bill to? So, Linda, basically, we didn't answer your question. We just rattled on about. Uh, but, but I think the take-home message here is: drip irrigation, run a long time, and a layer of mulch can do a lot to preserve soil moisture. Well, let me ask you real quick. Last question: uh, If the plant looks great, mm-hmm. you know, its leaves, it's blooming, it's growing. There's nothing you know, sick looking about the plant. It's just the tomatoes. Could that still be the uh, the reason being the watering is too shallow? Mm-hmm. Could be the lack of light if it's in too much well, shade. Plenty of light. Okay. Plenty of light. Yeah. If anything, it's it's the water. I'll take Debbie's advice and do a better job on that next year. Thank you for your time. No, or change tomato varieties. Or erect shade oh. cloth. <laughs> yeah, shade cloth. You know, what I've noticed in my Folsom neighborhood is the popularity of garden umbrellas. It's like somebody's making a fortune selling these pretty garden umbrellas that people are putting over hydrangeas and tomatoes. Oh, they're not just uh, yard umbrellas? They're something special? They're functional. I yeah, didn't know about that. Because most of them are kind of leaning towards the west mm-hmm. to provide that late afternoon mm-hmm. shade. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a... This is a venture we should have got into on the ground floor that we missed out well, on. Well, I know some uh, commercial producers, now they're growing in containers. I'm thinking of Four Winds. Yeah. Uh, have a big shade structure. Yeah. To grow under. Exactly. Well, they, they they have a lot of reasons why they have to grow under in structures yes. these days. All right. Yes, Linda, I hope citrus. that helped. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess we could blame the heat, but... So which if it which uh, cultivars of tomatoes would you grow? What what do you think does best in the heat? Are they the Parthenocarpic ones like uh, um, Oregon Spring? I know that sounds terrible yeah, for hot weather, yeah. but it is a Parthenocarpic one, meaning it produces fruit without pollination, like a navel orange tree does. If I was going to sum up the results I'm hearing about for tomato growers this year, it's mm-hmm. the year of the cherry tomato. Oh well, we don't want that forever. No, we don't. And um, I'm, I'm thinking maybe it's going to take a, a bit of afternoon shade. Yeah. And that's what I did in Tucson. Monitoring more 
or better soil moisture mm-hmm. and, and mulching. Because mm-hmm. uh, the best production I had this year was on the Garden Gem and the Baxters. And both of them are smaller tomatoes. Mm-hmm. The biggest tomato I grew was the bush beefsteak. And that should have been the size of a beefsteak tomato mm-hmm. just on a smaller growing plant. But that bush beefsteak tomato maybe got to two inches. Oh, my gosh. It was really small. Beefsteaks are tough in our climate to begin with. They've always been tough. Uh, I, I purchased uh, some tomatoes at a grocery store. Uh, a chain of which exists in Sacramento, and they were <laughs> organic early girls, and they're maybe the size of a, I want to say a bouncy ball, which doesn't help most people, but you're right, uh, <laughs> inch and a half across at most, inch and a half. Okay, maybe a racquetball. Racquetball, yes. Okay, uh, but uh, and most that was those were the two big ones in the container, and then there were smaller ones with them. Uh, and these are early girls, and I've grown early girls every year. I've grown yeah. tomatoes, and they're always bigger than that. So can heat adversely affect the sizing of it? Oh, we, we talked, we about, talked this. about this over when on the plant is stressed. And the water is going to go to saving the plant before it goes to producing fruit. Yes. All right. So, yeah, it's, it comes down to watering. But is more water always the answer? No, because you have to have oxygen in the soil as yeah. well, so you have to have good drainage. Yeah. I would suspect that people who grew tomatoes in containers, and hopefully somebody will call me and prove me wrong, or call us and prove me wrong, uh, had a real hard time this year. Uh, well, everything I grew was in containers this year. How big were your containers? Uh, they were at least five gallon. Most were fifteen gallon. Mm-hmm. And uh, black. Uh, we have to take a break, but when we come back, we'll we'll talk to Sue and Red Bluff, and I'll tell you about my containers. Okay, this sounds year. good. All right, but I, you know, it was a mixed bag of results. Okay, I'm rather pleased with some results too. Oh, good. We'll take a break. More of Get Growing on the Way on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With Debbie Flower, retired horticultural professor. Yep. Now world traveler. Yep. All right. And and happy to do it. Yep. Yes, you are. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I've learned a lot about automated irrigation systems. So that Good I, for you. My greenhouse, my vegetable garden, and my landscape can all survive without me. Do you miss the faculty meetings? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Okay. I miss some of the people, but not the meetings. Okay, fine. We'll form a committee and study that. Okay. All right. Yes. Sue in Red Bluff, how are you? Good morning to my two favorite people. I love your show. Well, thank oh, you. Thank you. Appreciate that. How's the air quality in Red Bluff today? Oh. Uh, if you could see your neighbors, it would be fine. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> oh, I'm it's, so sorry. It's smoky everywhere. Yes, very much so. I have an ailing peach tree, and it has been ailing since the year I planted it. Oh, boy. And it uh, this year has been the best because I've really babied it along. Um, but now the leaves are all turning yellow. They have brown burnt edges. And they're folding up lengthwise. At least the tree has leaves this year. Last year it didn't. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And the fruit, I just went out and took some pictures. I'm going to try and email them to you. Um, It has two peaches on it, hard as rocks. And right where they connect to the branch, there's a bunch of gooey stuff. Oh, brown rot. Is that what it is? Is it a bacteria? Uh, I should, I I should look before i speak (laughs) 
Um, Why not just yank out the whole thing? Yeah, I would take it out That's and get something else. what I'm thinking of. As long as the soil's not a problem, then I won't have to change the soil. So well, you, soil. you could get a soil test done, which is not a bad idea, and you could always build a, a, a nice-sized raised bed. The raised bed for a single fruit tree might be 3 feet by 3 feet and maybe 16 inches deep. Uh-huh. I, uh, I, I and I would... I'm sorry, what did you say? Oh, I purchased a, in the spring a replacement for it, and I left it in a big pot because I thought this one was doing so well it might come out of it. But it's done this for three years in a row. I think you're a very patient person. So. Yeah, and it's probably not brown rot. It's probably bacterial canker. Um, but, uh, yes, I would take it out and get as much of the roots out as I can and rake away, clean away, you know, any debris on the soil surface, any fallen leaves or twigs or... Um, and I don't know... I don't know. Would you plant in the same place, Fred? Uh, like I say, I, I would do a soil test just to see. I'd, I'd check the drainage, too, make sure that... Well, a soil test won't tell you if there's disease in it, right? It'll just mm, tell you if it... Depends how extensive the soil testing is. So you could get one that would yeah. show you that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the other option would be to uh, dig up the plant mm-hmm. and take a portion of the roots, a good portion of the roots, to mm-hmm. a, a, your local master gardener where they could submit it to the state for analysis. Oh, that's a good idea. And see if it is a you know a, a crown rod issue, if it's some sort of like Phytophthora or whatever. Oak, so it could be a crown rod. Well, it could be a, a lot of things. Yeah, it, it could be a lot of things. Are you not seeing any unusual growth around the base of the tree? No, nothing, nothing. I've checked the tree. I've checked online trying to figure out uh, because there's nothing bothering the wood, the trunk, the limbs. Nothing. They're they're clean. They look just like the peach tree next to it. There's a peach tree next to it, and it's healthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, then it's probably not a soy. And is it the same variety peach tree? Um, uh, it's an er, it's a late peach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, I... if it's a disease, it will you know, and there are two together, the they'll both get it. So it's so hard sure. to say from what you're telling us what's going on. Um, I think I'd start over. And, yeah, and, and take a portion. Start over. I would take a portion not only of the roots, but maybe a branch with some of the leaves on it, the both healthy leaves and dying leaves, and put them in a sealed container and take them to your local cooperative extension office up there in Red Bluff and uh, see uh, what they can do with it. And a, and a sample that's at least as big as a piece of paper. Uh, Got for, it. For which? For this okay. branch you talked about, you know, right. with leaves attached. Right. Um, not, not, not just three inches of a branch. You need a lot more than that. Yeah. Something that would go into a legal size envelope. Yeah. <laughs> Big. <Okay. legal> size. <laughs> Take it out as soon as possible so it doesn't infect the tree next to it. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think if it were going to happen, it would have happened. I guess for the second time this morning, I'll use the phrase, life is too short to put up with a problem plant. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, this has been since I planted it three years ago. Firewood. I wonder if it's got a virus uh, that came with it or something. Yeah. But that those aren't viral symptoms necessarily. No. Okay. Good luck, Sue. All right. Thank you so much. All right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know for but what, I, but yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> Feel inadequate right. at the moment. All right. I believe when uh, 
at some point earlier today, I was going to mention about the containers I'm using. Oh, yeah, right. For tomatoes and peppers. So I, I knew I had to plant in containers this year for the first time ever right. as so far you're as doing a landscape. And the plants are going to get moved around, but I still wanted tomatoes and peppers. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, they got moved at least three times during this whole oh, wow. thing. So I used some of the larger containers I could find. Um, basically, they were like the the fall ceramic containers. The, they're plastic, but they oh, look okay. fancy. And they were about 18 to 24 inches across and maybe 18 inches deep. Mm-hmm. And because uh, they sent me some free samples like last year, and I go, well, I got them. I might as well use them. Smart pots. And smart pots are basically cloth. They almost look like weed fabric mm-hmm. that allows felt, air, felt sort of. yeah, yeah, felt fabric. And they came in different sizes. There was five, eight, 10, and 15 gallon sizes. Mm-hmm. So I go, well, I'll try these, see how they work. And for the fives, I put the peppers in. For the larger ones, I used uh, tomatoes mm-hmm. for a couple of them. And uh, they performed like a champ. I was oh, amazed. Great. I was afraid that, okay, when I go move them, I bet this whole thing's going to rip apart when I go move it. It didn't. It mm-hmm. stayed together. So I was able to move it. You know, so you planted in both the smart pots and the plastic right. decorative ones. Yeah, and I haven't seen anything to indicate that the problem had to do with the pot itself. Okay, I I have not used smart pots. I Actually, I think we had one or two at school at some point. Um but I would guess that they don't heat up like a black plastic pot does. And well, they're black. They're black, but they're not. They're low slung. And um, they're, they, they have more air holes. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. So they probably don't heat up as like a black plastic pot would. And that's a, that's a big problem with growing in containers is that black plastic pots will heat up to 140 degrees uh, when exposed to full sun. Mm-hmm. will heat the soil up to 140 degrees when exposed to full sun. In just a half hour. Right. And that kills the roots. Now you got me worried about the plants I watered at 5 a.m. this morning, and I'm not going to be home till 2. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes. But that, that was part of the strategy, too, this year is, okay, they're in containers. It's hot. They need to be watered. When the temperature gets into the upper 90s or above, they need water twice a day. Twice a day, yeah. Maybe three times a day. I just have to watch the soil mm-hmm. and uh, stick my finger down there and see just how wet it is in there. Yeah, and and with traveling, I have a, I don't have any edibles in containers, or uh, I have some annuals, and I've lost a number of annuals in containers um, because I haven't been around to water twice a day on the days that need it. Um, so I have done things like put um, bases under the pots, uh, and I always raise them up. The bases have wheels or legs, so and they're solid, so that when they're watered, a little bit of water can collect in the base. Uh, and that gets absorbed or evaporated around the plant over time. That helps a little bit. Yeah, you get air circulation below the pot. And yes, that helps, that helps keep because yeah. they're on concrete, and so that yeah. And then try to have them in the shade. There's a whole lot of little maneuvering things you can do to keep them alive. The other thing too that a lot of people don't think about is when you fill that pot, maybe leave two or three inches at the top and put in a couple inches of mulch. Mm-hmm. To help preserve soil moisture. And when you water, uh, DRAM, the company DRAM, D-R-A-M-M, actually has a wonderful, it's it's for watering plants in greenhouse, but a wonderful little two-minute maybe video on watering. And, and the point uh, being that you have to uh, water enough. And so by leaving that extra space at the top, you can fill, when you go around with a hose, mm-hmm. uh, with something, some kind of sprayer at, at the end, 
uh, you can fill that container to the top. That means you have two to three inches of water that will then drain down through the whole uh, media. You can't just go back and forth over the plants and walk away and consider that that has been watered. You have to fill each container to the top and let it drain out. You want water to come out the bottom. It, yeah. it may seem wasteful, but it is healthy for the plant. It washes away excess fertilizers and toxins, and it shows you in most cases, not all, that you've gotten water uh, into the media. Which is exactly what I'm doing with all these plants I've been babying for six or seven months. You may recall we went to a plant sale in March. Yes. I'm still babying. They're still in containers. They're still in containers, and I'm babying those plants. I moved up the sizes that they were Mm -hmm. in. I still have one in a container, and I have done the same. But it... When you water it, you make sure water's coming out the bottom, and yes. it's not coming out at once. It's taking its time getting right. there, but it's getting out. Right. And uh, basically, you just don't have a life. You just spend your time watering right. plants. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They take a lot of care. Yeah. But uh, I can't wait for the cooler weather so I can finally get these <laughs> into the ground. Yeah. All right. Make sure to cut the roots. How much? Well, uh, if... It's down the four sides and an X across the bottom. And if you see just a nice net of thin roots uh, in those places, then you only need to go in about a quarter of an inch. Okay. Yeah. And they will not go into dry soil, but in pre-moistened soil, Mm -hmm. which I like your advice earlier of wait till the first rains. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it's not a deluge like last year in early October. I know. October was really wet last year. Yeah. I mean, good news, bad news. When it comes to that. Yes, Brooks, I see your your anger. We will take that break to assuage your anger and then back with more Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. My guest today, Debbie Flower. Mm-hmm. Retired professional horticultural consultant and teacher yeah, okay <laughs> and and she will be judging the garden grappler in a few minutes your okay. chance to pick up a prize or two clue available at farmerfred.com and it has to do sort of with the weather all right now that i've uh, peaked your brain on that let's uh peek some other brains here ed in lake county thanks for uh, giving us a call what part of lake county are you in oh listen i can hear myself talk seven seconds ago you turn your radio down, Ed. Oh, Ed's Is he there? Yeah, he's fixing a bloody Mary, I think. He's not close to his radio. Well, that's life. Okay. Ed, are you there? I am, yes. Okay. Don't listen to your radio because you'll get very confused. I've been telling myself that for years. <laughs> okay, I'm out of the room now. Okay, Ed, what's up? Okay, I've got a uh Ficus Benjamina mm-hmm. that we've had for thirty three years Ooh. in the same pot. Mm-hmm. About 25 years ago, I was able to haul it out to the back deck. I pruned out the white roots and added some soil and brought it back in. And it's grown, it's grown, grown so much that I can't move it anymore. It's got the uh, orange threads about 12 feet. And about eight months ago, it started dropping seeds. Seeds? I didn't know what to do with them. I tried to plant a couple and nothing came out. And uh, the last month, it started doing it again. I've got about 33 of these little seeds. When they're on the tree, they're, they're green. Mm-hmm. When they drop, they're small, like uh, they're smaller than a pea, mm-hmm. and they're pockmarked like a mm-hmm. gobble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've and seen them on know. on some that uh, we grew in a greenhouse at at uh, American River College. Yeah, they're probably okay. sterile. 
Oh. They're a fig, and uh-huh. a fig is an inside-out flower. And in order for it to be uh, pollinated, a very tiny wasp, a very specific wasp of, that would live in the tropics where this plant is native, has to go inside that fruit. And um, the female goes in and lays eggs. And then the uh, uh, male eggs hatch, and they impregnate the female babies while they're still in the egg. And then the males die. And then the females hatch, and they're already pregnant, and they fly out uh, of the uh, fruit. And in that process, then they go find another fruit and burrow into the fruit. And in that process, they transfer the pollen so it's a fairly complicated process. It t- requires a very specific insect. And the fact that they're still as small as a pea when they fall off would indicate that they have not been pollinated because if they had, then they would get bigger and they would contain some hard seeds. What's the name of that wasp? I don't know the specific name of that wasp. It's different for each fig. I want to say the insipid wasp, but it's not the <laughs> insipid wasp. But, uh, yeah, that, but that's only true on the Smyrna fig. What the insipid wasp? The yeah, the, the the wasp for pollination. That basically every time you eat a Smyrna fig, you're eating a, a dead wasp. Um, well, all because of the all, all figs are all, everything in the ficus family is that way. That's what he's seeing is the flower. Yeah, exactly. And but it's inside out, the, and you have the to have an insect. In the fruit. You have to have an insect to go in there to do the pollination. I thought okay. that was just the one the Smyrna fig required. We'll that. have to check that out. Okay. That's, um, thinking... So I'm sunk in, in terms of propagating the seed. I'm just sunk. Well, uh, I think, uh, yeah, you might be better off uh, developing juggling skills with them. <laughs> you can propagate the plant by cuttings. I've done that a million times. Uh, you take the m- most recent growth by seven, eight inches long and strip the bottom and put it in hormone and stick it and then keep it moist. Um and it, it it works just fine. You can get lots yeah. of babies that way. Well, after 33 years, it's like an old friend, and I'm not going to bother it. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty impressive time to keep that plant and to have it that big and to have it that healthy. Uh, they oh, yeah, get lots right. of they happy. get they get scale and and aphids and mealybug and uh, you must keep it clean as well. Do you wash it off somehow or? No, I don't. I just don't touch it. I mean, I touch it a lot. I can't help it. With the twelve foot spread with the yeah, gets in your way, huh? Yeah, I keep brushing up against it, and it seems fine. That's great. That you know, they can be a problem, and you've done a great job. Well, thank you. That's a great information. I'll just leave it alone. I don't like the part where all the males die. (laughs) That's the insect world. (laughs) Yeah. Oh well. Ed, thanks for the call. Thank you very much. (laughs) All right. Bye bye. All right. Uh, The fig wasps are wasps of the super family. Calcidodiae, okay. which spend their larval stage inside figs. Most are pollinators, but others are herbivores. The non-pollinators belong to several groups within the superfamily Calcidoidae, while mm-hmm. the pollinators are in the family Agonoidae. Mm-hmm. While pollinating fig wasps are gall makers, the remaining types either make their own galls or usurp the galls of other fl- fig wasps. Reports of them being parasitoids are considered dubious. That means parasitoids means that they, they parasite. They're the parasite on something. Yeah. So it's. Uh, but I, I could have sworn that that fig wasp deal was only with one particular type. There of are fig. some self-pollinating uh, figs. Thank you. But right. not 
the ficus benjamina is not one of them. Okay, right. But I think most edible fig varieties that you would are, buy yeah. are self-pollinating. Well, they don't have... They don't need that wasp. Right. right. They don't have wasps inside of them when you eat them. Yeah. Right. Or is it the Calmerna fig? Now that I'm thinking about it, I'll have to look that up. Um, and people have questions. And I hope people Good. have answers for the garden grappler because we're going to be doing that after the news at 11 o'clock. There is a clue available at FarmerFred.com. Go easy on them, Debbie. Oh. All right, because this is kind of... I haven't graded in a long time, you know. I have to get my grading. (laughs) All right. So, kids, go to the bookstore, buy yourself some scan cards (laughs) and uh, some number two pencils. Or Ms. Flower will sell them to you during (laughs) class before the test. All right. Nope, never did that. Okay. You never got into that racket, huh? No. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Try to be as neutral as possible. Everybody has the same chance to fail. (laughs) You were never a Scantron salesperson. No. All right. We'll take that break, Garden Grappler, and we'll get to your questions that you have, so stay right there on the phone. If you're calling us with garden questions, as Get Growing continues on this Labor Day weekend, right here on Talk 650 KSTE and KSTE.com. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred prize closet. Now, you people on hold with questions, stay there because you may be able to answer this question and you can pick up a prize. Maybe two. Today's Garden Grappler question, ladies and gentlemen, is mention a plant with a sunny name because the weather this Day is sunny with, with some smoke <laughs> and hot, 104. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I know what plant you're thinking of. And Debbie Flower is here. She will be the judge for the garden grappler. But, Debbie, we've we got to consider the synonyms as well for sunny. Right. Words like maybe bright mm-hmm. or even star because the sun is a star. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe a plant with the word star in its name or bright in its name. You're giving answers, Fred. I'm not. I'm just giving real specific clues to help people. Okay. Because if we know what's going to happen with mentioning a plant with a sunny name, the most obvious one is going to get named first. Sure. And then people are going to go, okay. How about fire? Fire's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's sunny. Okay. All right. I like that. So you're helping too. Heat. Heat. Well, sun and heat are two separate things, don't you think? But without the sun, we would have no heat. Well, that's not true. We'd have geothermal heat. Well, I bet Green Bay has sunny days in December, (laughs) reflecting off the snow. Okay. All right. Okay. So you don't like heat. Okay. All right. But anyway, all five callers get a prize, bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. So mention a plant with a sunny name or a synonym for sunny. Okay. All right. 576-1578 in the 916. Outside the area, 866-331-8255. Those numbers again, because I know you had to put down your drink, pick up a pencil and find a piece of paper. 916-576-1578-866-331-8255. I'm so old-fashioned. Here I'm talking about pencil and paper when I know perfectly well (laughs) people are just punching it in their phone. It's like, and, and, and who's dialing? Nobody's dialing. That's true. I think that's very true. Well, yeah. there's the occasional ornamental dial phone. Yes, yes, that that works. That's actually a touch tone phone, but you're right. pretending to dial. Right. All right, that's true. 
Life was so much simpler. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so name a plant with a sunny name. There you go. You got the numbers. Call in, and uh, Debbie will judge your answers. And of course, if the answer, I may ask you what. Explain to me how that relates to the sun. Well, that's okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you can be ready to do that if you want. All right. So, but people have questions, and if they want to participate in this, they're certainly more than welcome. I forgot to ask Brooks if he's ready or not. Brooks is ready for your call, so that's important. Amy in Sacramento, how you doing? Okay. Good, Amy. What's up? Um, I have this huge bird of paradise, and I want to get rid of it. Besides having to dig it up, what else can I do? Can I use Roundup? Yeah, if you cut it off and paint the base. And then you'll have to cut it off again and paint the base and cut it off again and paint the base, depending on how big the underground storage organ is. Oh. Um, I, I, I don't know if you're into this, but um, there are probably people who would want that plant and who would uh, uh, come and dig it up for you. Um, really? If you put it on like a, a web, you know, a Craigslist or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, that's a possibility. Huh. Oh. Of course, if it's surrounded by other plants that you yes. want to keep, that could be That's an issue. That could be a problem, yeah. yeah. And they're shade plants, so they tend to be under trees or yeah. wherever. Um, the choice is yours. Yeah. I like the Roundup idea myself. Now, let's talk a little bit about, okay, if this situation is a plant and there are surrounding plants, if you cut off that bird of paradise, paint it with Roundup, that Roundup, that weed killer that herbicide translocates to the roots of the plant will it affect the roots of surrounding plants that happen to be touching the roots of the bird of paradise no unless they are another bird of paradise that has grafted its roots to that bird of paradise so it'd have to be the same strelitzia yeah genus basically yeah for that to happen and another way to get rid of it or to to well now would be the best time to apply the roundup because uh days are getting shorter Plants are getting ready for winter, and to do that, they're sending as much food as possible to the root system. And so anything you want to get rid of with a, uh, either a brush killer for a woody plant or a, a systemic uh, uh, herbicide like Roundup, w- which has the active ingredient of glyphosate, uh, will travel most effectively to the root system at this time of year. But so, not when it's 100 degrees. Uh, well, yeah, with Roundup, well, I don't know if cutting it off. Yeah, well, you still wouldn't want to apply it on a hot afternoon. You could apply it when the temperature is below 85 or 90. So you could do it this evening. Yeah, or, or this tomorrow morning. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not good to, to um, paint it when it's too hot. Right, because it evaporates too quickly. It doesn't have enough time to get translocated. Uh, basically, the operational range of, of, of glyphosate is, I believe, the temperature range is 55 to 85. If it's below 55, it doesn't do too much good. If it's uh, above 85 or 90, then it evaporates too quickly. Really? and Yeah, and I wonder if you don't want to cut it off. If You know, the recommendation for using uh, glyphosate to kill weeds is to get the weeds to be as beautiful and vigorous mm-hmm. as possible and then apply it to the leaf surfaces. My concern would be the waxy leaf yeah. of the bird of paradise and the Roundup would just roll right off. Yeah. And I talked to the people who make Roundup about this situation. Yeah. And in, in the case, we were talking about ivy. Okay. And they said take a metal rake to right. the ivy first and basically make ridges in it to sort of so open it up. take a Brillo pad or yeah. a, a rough kitchen pad to the surface of the, of the uh, 
bird of paradise leaf, then apply it with another pad, with a pad rather than spraying or pouring. Um, but also if you can cut off the water to the plant. Uh, I haven't watered it. Oh, okay. And it can just keep going and going and going. And well, it's getting water from somewhere. <sighs> there are people who would love to have your problem. <laughs> <laughs> you really? Yeah. Right, well, so, Amy, there, there, there's some suggestions. Uh, uh, glyphosate or somebody with a backhoe. Oh. Or, oh. or, a, or a strong back. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, uh, could I, and then I, 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 um, I planted a tomato, and I didn't plant a tomato. I have a, um, uh, uh, there was a volunteer, mm-hmm. and I haven't watered it, mm-hmm. and um, it's, it's gotten fruits, and one of them is starting to ripen. Whereas the other one that I've watered and everything, it hardly has any stuff, and they're all green yet. I wonder if you have a layered soil and an underground. I think there. Are, I think this is true in my yard that there is uh, during construction development. You know, turning wild places into uh, neighborhoods. Uh, some shallow creeks were buried, mm-hmm. um, and. And then I know I have layers of soil, layers of different soil types in my yard, and the water is traveling in, I think, one of those layers. I wonder if you're in that situation, and the, oh. the roots got into that, and that could be true for the bird of paradise yeah. as well. Or your neighbors are overwatering. Right, oh, that, no, that happens too. Not watering at all. They aren't living there right now. Okay. Well, then it, it could be an underground stream. Yeah, those oh. exist yeah. in the area. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought, yeah. wow, it's drought tolerant. Uh, well, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. So it's it, it's found a happy spot. Oh. Yeah. So there's that. Amy, did you want to take a crack at the garden grappler? Name a plant with a sunny name. Sun gold. Oh, very good. All right. All right. What is a sun gold? Tomato. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I didn't even think of that one. I should have. All right. But you're the judge. Yes, she, she okay. gets it. Yeah, All right. sure, Good. sure. All right, Amy, I'm going to put you on hold, and then Brooks will get your information, okay? okay. And what what did everybody win uh, as far as this goes? Um, today, did I press the right button? Did you lose her? Did, I did press the right button. Okay, thank you. I, okay, all right. I, I don't know any more about these <laughs> buttons here. They don't change color or anything. Uh, oh, thank you, Brooks. Um, what was the question? What what did they win? Oh yes, thank you. <laughs> Can I go home now? No, <laughs> uh, the uh, informational brochures from the University of California Integrated Pest Management Program on the Asian citrus psyllid and controlling ants. Why do I have a funny feeling? I know it's going to come up sometime between now and eleven thirty. Uh, so ant control, Asian citrus psyllids, and uh, my uh, informational sheet on beneficial insects, the bad bugs they control, and the plants they love. So that's for all five callers. So that'll be coming their way. Okay. All right. So sun gold is gone. Do not say sun gold. Cross that from your list. So you others, hang in there, and we'll get to your answers. We have to take a break. And when we come back, we'll get to answers two, three, four, and 5, as well as your questions here on Get Growing. And don't forget, this show is available as a podcast. It'll be available soon after today's uh, airing at uh, kste.com, the iHeartRadio app, or your favorite third-party aggregator, either today or tomorrow. It'll be posted, so if you miss any portion of it, you can certainly listen to it as a podcast. So we'll take this short break and then come back with your answers as we continue with Get Growing right here on Talk 650 KSTE. (music) 
Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Debbie Flower, judging mm-hmm. today's garden grappler, name a plant with a sunny name. Amy was first and said sun gold, which is one of the tastiest little cherry tomatoes you could find. Nice yellow sweet tomato. It's very tasty. Mm-hmm. People have questions. People have answers. All five correct callers uh, get a prize, of course, in the garden grappler. Maybe Joyce and Real Linda, besides having a question, might have an answer. We'll find out right now. Hi, Joyce. Hi. Hi. What's Hi. up? Well, my questions are about uh, my raspberry, blackberry, and blueberries. They're new this year for me to put in, and I need to know what do I do with them now? They didn't produce, of course, so they'll be ready for next year. Starting with the raspberry, um, do I cut back the canes? If they didn't produce, no. Okay, they did not produce, so just leave everything there and let it go through the winter and... You t- and t- generally, you tie it up and you space your canes uh, so that they're, you, you know, you don't have them right on top of each other because uh, they're going to produce branches and it's going to get really gnarly in there. Uh, so space your canes, I don't know, I want to say 6 to 12 inches apart. Um, and tie them up so it's nice and neat so you can get your fruit when it comes uh, in spring. And then when I have them in isn't like a wine barrel, but it's not exactly a wine barrel, but it's that size uh-huh. and more or less set into the ground. And I've got a tomato cage around them, and they're okay. all growing up all around this tomato cage. Okay, okay. Then you're probably in good shape. All right. Blackberries, same question. Fred? If they haven't, have they produced or not? No. Mm, then wait. Okay. And then blueberry, same question. Blueberry, same way. Question. I have the sunshine blue, the O'Neill, and the Jubilee, all the high bush Yeah, the, su- the, the southern high bush, yeah. Um, I need to know how do I, do I trim them at all, or do I, they produce some of them. Uh, well, they all three did a little bit, you know, but. Blueberries only need to be pruned every three years. Take out the oldest wood. Uh, at the base. At the base, because okay. the, they will have reduced vigor after year three. Okay. So you got plenty of time there. So right. so now we've taken care of... Do it now or later? Uh, I would do it probably in February, January, February. Okay. Joyce, you want to take a stab at the uh, garden grappler? Name a plant with a sunny name? Well, the only thing I can think of is sunflower, and you okay. know that. Well, that's an answer. We haven't <laughs> no, had that's that. that's an answer, yeah. Yeah, that's an answer. That's okay. You just ticked off a lot of other people on hold. Yeah. But that's but Joyce, if you want to say sunflower, I will send you the prizes, which include the uh, informational brochures on the Asian citrus psyllid, as well as ant controls, along with my uh, handout on beneficial insects, the bad bugs they control, and the plants they love. That sounds great. All right. Well, let me put you on hold here, and uh, Brooks will get all the particulars, and uh, we'll send those off to you. Good job. All right. Let's uh, go to San Francisco and talk with Pat. Hello, Pat. Yes, sir. I have a question about uh, a lemon tree. Uh, I moved it from point A to point B. In other words, point A is where I bought it, 20 miles away, and then uh, point B is in my backyard. You crossed a quarantine zone. (laughs) Huh? You crossed a quarantine zone with citrus. You're going to get them upset. Oh, the citrus police are going to get you. So the the citrus uh, ninjas will be out here dragging me off. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, yes. So uh, what's happened, it was in a a two-and-a-half-gallon container with with black potting soil, so I bought black potting soil that looks exactly like it, 
and uh, dug a real nice hole, filled this uh, hole up with the black potting soil, um, nice fluffy uh, organic material, um, and then transplanted uh, the lemon tree into it. And three days later, the leaves are drooping. So clearly it's in shock, but I'm just wondering. And I've got a really lousy success with these damn things. I'm about 50-50. Half of what I put in the ground, citrus-wise, fails. I need a better procedure. And what do you think is going to happen with this thing? Uh, Debbie Flower will now explain the scientific <laughs> uh, phenomenon called osmosis. Uh, I would take it out and remove the nice fluffy soil. Unfortunately, that's probably the problem. Um, and uh, replant it into field soil. Um, water, what you do when... Uh, what we do when we we amend uh, heavily amend soil in the ground or replace the gra- the soil in the ground with uh, something for, out of a bag is we cr- uh, basically containerize the plant in the ground, and then you have to water and and fertilize and treat it as a um, containerized plant. Although the water you get in the f- replacement soil will take a very long time to move to the field soil so the plant could drown in that time and the water in the field soil basically won't move into the fields into the new fluffy soil the bagged soil and so the plant will die of drought Um, so it's much easier to just plant into field soil Uh, you want to plant proud it's called uh, so that what what the plant was grown in you're absolutely right is is not like the soil in your ground, and that's because of its water uh, uh, relations in a container. And so making that transition from the container soil to the field soil is probably the most difficult thing for uh, for us to do. And so when we buy a new plant, we want to knock it out of the container, slice the roots down the four sides and an X across the bottom in about, depends on how big the plant is, but a quarter to a half inch. That's just breaking up the root systems that might be circling around the inside of the container. Would you wash off all that soil? Well, that's another possibility that's recommended by a cooperative extension agent uh, in Washington, uh, Linda Chalker-Scott. I... um, We don't have a lot of water here in California, so if you do it, do it over the grass or something. And I have not practice that. Um, I think it takes a lot of time and effort. And definitely have the hole ready to go before you do that. Yes. You want the hole to be slightly less deep than the container soil depth. Not not the pot depth, but the container soil. Can you amend that hole if you're going to grow in the field soil in the existing soil? Can you amend that hole with compost? The recommendation is not to. However, if you feel you have to, the most would be 20%. Okay. So that would be four scoops of field soil to and one scoop of the same size of whatever you're amending it with. That's Mix it very thoroughly. That's incredibly important. That's 25%. When, uh, no, four when plus one. These things, when we purchase these things from, say, Lowe's or Home Depot, and they're in two-and-a-half-gallon containers, what kind of soil are they shipped in? Soilless mix. Yeah, and most of it is just a combination of peat, maybe perlite, uh, maybe a little bit of fertilizer. Sometimes there's sand. Yeah. It's it not. Seems it, to do, it seems to do very, very well in that soil. It's meant it for shipping purposes. It does if it's purposes. in a container. One of the big reasons they use that mix is because it's lightweight, so that's less shipping costs for them. Also, it doesn't contain weed seeds or insects. Yeah. 
uh, and it, it drains better. You're, when you're in a container, you're in a limited root system, and the water is, will not readily move from the container out into the, out the drainage holes. It's, a, it's a, one of the physics things of water. This is hard for even engineers to grasp. Um, and so you have to have something that drains very well. And it, the media needs to be changed really every year because it is so full of organic matter that it breaks down and becomes compacted, and then there's no room for oxygen in there. So maybe what you want to do is just get a big container like a wine, half wine barrel, drill holes in the bottom, and grow the, contain, grow the citrus in that. They do very well in that situation as long as you water them enough and fertilize them and enough. And the container's large enough. And the container's large enough, right? Yeah. The half whiskey barrel is probably, or half wine barrel, is probably the smallest you would want to go. Yeah. It was extremely wet when I took uh, the, the shipping container off it, and uh, the, it just literally fell apart around the roots. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's, that's okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you plant if into the ground, you want to plant proud, meaning that you want to lift, you want the, the top, it was a two and a half gallon, so probably the top inch to inch and a half of the container soil sticking out of the ground uh, because that container media is full of uh, organic matter. It's going to break down like a compost pile, and the, it will sink over time. And if you plant it at soil level, when it sinks, it'll be below soil level, then all the water runs to it, and then the plant drowns. So you plant proud, you plant that container media high, and you mulch up against it, up against that inch, inch and a half that's exposed. Refill the hole with the field soil or the field soil with um, 20% well-mixed uh, amendment, and then you have to water the container soil, right? So what the plant came in from the nursery um, more frequently than the field soil for the first six weeks of the plant's life. Yeah. Uh, what's your success rate uh, transplanting citrus when you're, how many, uh, you know, over the years, uh, have you been, you know, 90%, 80%? What do I've you never think? lost one. No, I've never lost You've one never either. never lost one. Yeah. That's why we have a radio show. I'm just murdering these things. <laughs> well, basically, yeah, what you've created is a container in the ground, and because of the way water moves when there's two very different soil types mm -hmm. there, that's the problematic area. Yeah. So either... And it is a problematic area when you put the container media into the ground. That yeah. It already is a problem. By, by putting it into uh, uh, digging out the field soil and putting in other bagged goods, it, you just amplify the problem. Yeah, It's much cheaper, if you think about it, just using what's there. Field soil, already, yeah. yeah. It, and that's actually better for the plant in the long run. Pat, did you want to take a stab at the garden grappler, name a plant with a sunny name? Sunflower? Well, somebody already said sunflower. Well, they did, well. Yeah. So much for that. I'm not uh, wise on these names. You know, okay. I, I, I got a ton of cactus growing, and they'll they'll cause all kinds of problems for you if you get too close to them. But, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, see, you yeah. do have success. All right. right. Uh, yeah. For your citrus, you might want to go to the website of Four Winds Growers. Uh, four that's winds four F O U R Winds uh -huh. W I N D S, and they have a tips and advice yeah, section. Yeah, it's an excellent page. Uh, yeah, they're they're we both Fred and I both know the people who own that company and and they know what they're talking about so um, yeah, a cactus it's real hard to screw up you know <laughs> yeah, you just put lay the thing on the ground and it'll self-root like something out of a, a science fiction movie that's right and yeah. then, that's because it's a stem you got, you yeah got, uh column cactus all over the place with beautiful white balloons every spring oh cool yeah well uh you know now you know
I call it the organic barbed wire, depending on where you put it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Pat, thanks for the call. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Well, golly, we've only got two answers so far for the Garden Grappler. Yeah. We'll take a break and come back. And I'm, I'm going to make you work overtime, Debbie. Okay. It'll be I, reflected. I'll survive. It'll be reflected in, in my your paycheck. paycheck. Yes, it will. Uh, and get answers three, four, and five in today's Garden Grappler here on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With Debbie Flower from American River College. No, she's not Not from anymore. American you Virginia. formerly from American formerly. River Formerly. And Sierra College. Yeah. And other places. Sacramento Cooperative Extension. Yes. California Association of Nurserymen, even though I'm not a man. Or a nursery. I'm not that either. Yeah, yeah. that was the problem. <laughs> I wasn't a business. <laughs> But, yeah. No, we all did our time there. Yeah, we did. Yes. That's how we got to know each other. I I think so, yeah. No, don't go off on that scenic highway, Fred. Just stick to the facts here of the Garden Grappler. Get winners three, four, and five. And wrap this puppy up, so to speak. Who's up next here? Uh, I think it's Renee in Elk Grove with an answer, I hope. Hi, Renee. Hello. So, Renee, thanks for holding on all this uh, years and give us an answer to the garden grappler, which is mention a plant with a sunny name. Can I have a question first? Sure. Why not? <laughs> We're not going anywhere. Wait a minute. Well, I got to tell I Brooks. Gotta... On... Brooks, hold off the farm show until we get done with this show. Okay. <laughs> no. Thanks. Okay. I'll try to make it fast. Um, I got up super early this morning and tore my pole beans and my watermelon out of my garden because mm-hmm. they were both so over. Yeah. Because yeah. something attacked them that made all of the leaves turn yellow mm-hmm. and pulling them out. And I had on some kind of like sweatpant material shorts and mm-hmm. they all the leaves stuck to me as though they were mm-hmm. Velcro. Mm-hmm. And and I and I didn't really get a harvest. My watermelon looked terrible, and the the beans, I when they finally did appear, were not very very um, delicious. And probably kind of speckled looking too. I would imagine very speckled. The whole yeah. thing kind of turned speckly and a dull. The leaves turned a real dull color, mm-hmm. and then they just dropped to the ground. And but the ones that remained on there were like super sticky. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a sucking insect. Yeah. Yeah, but I didn't see anything. Well, did you look at the back of the leaves? They typically are on the back of the leaves because it's more protected there. Um, and on the watermelon, that's classic squash. Watermelon, pumpkin, uh, as uh, late in the season, they get full of aphids uh, in particular. Um, and you, you, you might see live aphids. You might just see cast skins, which are just little white flecks because they grow like a snake grows. When they get bigger, they, they bust out of their old skin and, and leave this old I skin behind. I did find a snake skin in the garden. Well, that's Ooh, a, that's, that's a, a great beneficial, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, they won't eat aphids. Though. No, they won't no. eat aphids. No. Um, so that's classic for watermelon lizards, but I guess they don't eat aphids either. No, no. So (sighs) lizards might eat aphids. We'll we'll never know because you threw away the plants. I did. I threw them away because it just was was just too ugly to look at. And that's okay. That's an organic control method. Yep. My bamboo poles down and, but I'm wondering next, I always plant a winter garden in that same area. Is that going to infect my winter garden when I get around to doing that? If you don't clean up. You want sanitation. Okay. You know, rake away or hand, get rid of everything that was there. Yeah. Um, but 
The short answer is not really, no. Aphids are a warm season pest. They are, and the aphids that attack watermelon won't necessarily attack chard, let's say. that oh, okay. There are aphids that will attack each one, but they're different aphids. Now remember, too, to control any ants you might see, because yeah, ants tend absolutely. to herd aphids around, and oh. by controlling the ants, you control the aphid population. So the lizard okay. might help with that. Do lizards eat ants? Lizards eat small insects. Do they? Yeah. I don't know. I think ants would put up a fight. Uh, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. They'd probably pinch the tongue. Yeah. They'd probably just eat worms. So they eat ant babies, maybe. Yeah. So, Renee, do you, do you, <laughs> do you have an answer here? Well, the one thing that is doing fabulously in my garden right now, even though they haven't flowered yet, um, but I'm going to have a bumper crop, is uh, sunchokes. Yay. Yay, sunchokes, also known as Jerusalem artichokes. Yeah, they take over. Have they taken over they, they're all volunteers this year. I didn't plant them. Yeah. Um, I harvested them, you know, last fall and gave them out to my family members. And then this spring when I was planting my summer garden, I noticed a whole row of them came up in a neat little row. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, I'll leave, I'll leave you alone. And now they're probably 20 or 15 feet tall. And Yeah, they're fun. Yeah. They're beautiful. Yeah. But yeah. they do take over. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that might have been part of my problem with my beans. I think they cast a lot of shade on that part. Oh. Yeah, because well, they got so big. But Renee, my tomatoes are on the other side, and, and they're doing okay. <laughs> good answer, Renee. So I'll be sending you from IPM their information on the Asian citrus psyllid as well as ant control, and also my uh, handout on beneficial insects, the bad bugs they control, and the plants they love. Okay, thank you very much. All right, thanks, Renee. All right, All right. good Goodbye. job with the sun choke. Now, you, you can use a synonym for sun. Uh, you, it could be like bright or light or star or what else did you? You said fire, didn't you? Debbie? I said fire, yeah. yeah. So think about that. Maybe Scott in Plymouth has a synonym. Maybe not. Hi, Scott. Scott in Plymouth. Hello. Hey, how there, you doing? there you are. Hi, Scott. Well, I, yeah, well, I got a whole bunch of them, so I'll just say one. Um I was going to try sundew first. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That's an insect-eating plant. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Sundew. Okay. Drosera is the genus. All right. You'd know. It's a genus, yeah. Yeah, same as Drosaria, it says here. Yeah. Okay. Good good job, Scott. So I'll be sending you all that information I told Renee I'd send her. Well, that sounds good to me. Thanks for calling in, Scott. Appreciate it. You bet. All right. Bye-bye. And that takes us to caller number five. And today's Garden Grappler, it would be Christine in Orangevale. Hi, Christine. Hi, how are you? Fine. I tell you what, if you can come up with a plant with a sunny name, something that isn't a sun gold, a sunflower, a sun choke, or a sundew, I have for you, from my friends at the Sacramento County Master Gardeners, the Sacramento County Gardening Guide and Calendar for 2018. Ooh. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I have a Camasonia ovata, which is a coast sun cup. Yay! Do you know that, Debbie? For yeah. A fact? Okay. Coast sun cup. What is the coast sun cup? It's in the Amazonia, <laughs> and it and it grows on the coast of California from San Luis Obispo up to northern Oregon. The coast. I need to spend more time at the beach. The, yeah. The coast <laughs> sun cup. Okay. It's a wildflower, California yeah. wildflower. Okay. Wow. Good job, Christine. Yeah, I like that. She worked for her calendar. Yeah, and, and and you and you get psychic bonus points for using the botanical name too. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> congratulations on that. Thank you. All right, hey Christine, good job. So I'll be sending you that calendar. Terrific. All right, thanks for calling. All oh, right. you're welcome. Okay, bye bye. 
And Bye. Debbie Flower, thank you for spending part of your Sunday with oh, us. Oh, it's a pleasure. All right. And uh, <laughs> what are you going to be doing? Anything you want to plug? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, okay. <laughs> get me through TSA without... Without having Taking to your be shoes off. <laughs> having to be patted down. Okay. Well, good luck and enjoy traveling. I do actually. Are you, you going to come back on the show before December? Sure. Okay. I can, good. I can schedule that in there. Oh, thank you. I, I, I appreciate <laughs> okay. that. Okay. All right. Good. When we come back, uh, we'll find out what's happening at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center coming up Saturday. Yeah. As we continue with Get Growing on Talk Six Fifty KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. The Joan Coulot Sacramento branch of the American Begonia Society has its big annual judge show and sale coming up Saturday and Sunday, September 9th and 10th at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center at 3330 McKinley Boulevard in Sacramento. Don't think you can grow begonias here? Well, you better think again. Paul Samsis of the local Begonia Society, you've been saying that for years and years. And now that uh, fall is approaching, that means that maybe we maybe we should start thinking about adding some begonias to the landscape. That's certainly a, a, a possibility people in Sacramento should consider. Uh, Fred, over, over about the past 10 years, maybe, uh, there's been a new group of begonias from the Himalayan foothills that are being used in hybridization. They're cold hardy here in Sacramento. Uh, we don't know what they do if it hits 24 or 25, but if it just does the usual 28, 29, 30, they'll come back in the spring and you can actually have uh, begonias planted in and amongst your other landscaping. What is the ideal outdoor location for a begonia? There's actually a couple possible descriptions. Uh, morning sun until about maybe eight or nine, dappled sun all day under kind of a loose cat canopied tree, or Actually, if you can place the begonia so that when it looks up, it sees nothing but blue sky and essentially no sun. I, I grew them that way for about 10 years, and I was surprised at, at how well they responded to that. So that would be a, a north-facing exposure? A north-facing exposure. I have uh, When I lived in Midtown, I had a wall of bamboo on the south side of the property line at a driveway. And I filled the driveway with begonias. The sun was gone maybe by about eight in the morning, and it was just blue sky the rest of the day. They 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 grew wonderfully. Now people may be a little short sighted when it comes to what they think a begonia is. If their only contacts with begonia are those that they might find in a big box store, and the show coming up September 9th and tenth will. Uh, certainly open up a lot of eyes as far as the variety of begonias and sizes available for people. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it, it it's a genus in, in, in search of a, an end. They, they're, they're little minuscule half-inch leaf plants where a full-grown plant might be two or three inches across. I uh, just saw a picture of somebody down in Santa Barbara, which, to be fair, is begonia heaven. But he had a, a begonia that was like about 12, 14 feet tall with just huge three, four foot leaves in, in diameter. It, it, it was very, very impressive picture and anything in between that. And what's nice about the show coming up September 9th and 10th, not only will there be a lot to look at, there will be some begonias for sale, won't there? There will be. It's, it's a challenge this year. This, the, the hot summer hasn't, hasn't done us uh, very much good 
but we will have upwards of 800 plants available and i'm sure somebody can find something they'd, they'd love to to give a try over this uh, this next calendar year and these begonias are going to be i bet rather unique and not the ones you'd typically see for sale in local nurseries absolutely uh generally in at local nurseries you get what what i affectionately call the gas station begonias and ironically begonias are shade plants well you can plant them in full sun here and that's in sacramento the the, the general run there are more wholesalers that are now planting crops of more unusual types and you don't see them in great numbers, but local nurseries, Green Acres has had them, uh, Fair Oaks Boulevard. I don't want to leave anybody out, but almost all the, the regular independent kind of nurseries who throughout the season get these unusual begonias. And then we'll just be chock full of them uh, for our show. And of course, you can certainly grow begonias indoors. What are the conditions begonias favor in the great indoors? Interestingly, Fred, I, I try to tell people if you can grow an African violet, you can grow most begonias indoors in the in the same kind of uh, conditions. They begonias like what African violets like, and I get these kind of cross-eyed looks and say, "Well, I kill African violets." <laughs> oh well, um, but 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 you know. I don't actually, I, I know what they say when they kill African violets because I kind of do that too. Uh, begonias I do a lot better with. Uh, they do make great house plants. Grandma always had one in the house. If you remember back to her angel wing, uh, there, there's all sorts of other types that, that do make good house plants either year round or take it in in the fall, grow it through the winter in a, a, a bright light somewhat sunny window and kick it back out in the spring after danger frost has passed. Now, I imagine that at the annual begonia show, you do uh, meet those people who say, I kill every plant I ever touch. Why would I want a begonia? But at the begonia show, you're going to have people who are going to offer classes in basic how to grow begonias. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that schedule is going to be, but we do have a couple seminars each day. And this year, we're basically going to limit it to uh, begonia culture. We've we've had more extensive in the past topics, but we're thinking we, we should stick to the begonia basics to let people know that if if you like growing plants, a begonia is something that you shouldn't exclude from the, the repertoire. It's a show, and by the way, it's a judge show as well as a sale, and it's open on Saturday, September 9th from 1 to 4 p.m., and on Sunday, September 10th from 10 to 3. Why just the afternoon hours on Saturday? Uh, because we're going to be spending the morning judging. It, it's it's not an easy process. We've got uh, people coming up from Southern California and the Bay Area to, to join the judging teams, and that gives us enough time to, to have the, the, the job done by the time the, uh, the public comes in. All right. Once again, it's the Joan Coulot Sacramento branch of the American Begonia Society and their annual judge show and sale September 9th and 10th, Saturday and Sunday at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center, 3330 McKinley Boulevard in Sacramento. And I bet it's free. The Not only is it free, the parking is free, too. So, uh, you know. What 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 a day to what a way to spend an hour or two on on that weekend. There you go, Paul Samsis with Sacramento branch of the American Begonia Society. Thanks for a few minutes of your time. 
Well, thank you for having me, Fred. Enjoyed talking with you. Some other events you may want to take advantage of coming up next Saturday, September 9th, 9 to noon. It's a free open garden at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. You'll learn how to select water-efficient plants. You can see mini demonstrations on cool-season vegetable planting, end-of-season orchard tasks for your fruit trees, how to prune cane berries, propagating her herbs herb and also purchase the uh, 2018 gardening guiding calendar if you so like and they're going to have a sale to to pre-order dutch bulbs including tulips and gladiolus and of course they'll be answering your gardening questions that'll be at the fair oaks horticulture center 11549 fair oaks boulevard in fair oaks park it's next saturday 9 a.m to noon if you want to take advantage of that today the Koi Show is going on, the Camellia Koi Club's 2017 Koi Show, A Taste of Excellence, going on now till 3 o'clock. It's an educational and fun event featuring pond builders, fountains, landscape, and other vendors. Beautiful koi to purchase or just admire. You'll learn how a koi are judged, and it's taking place at the Old Sugar Mill, which has uh, been converted to a winery in Clarksburg at 35265 Willow Avenue in Clarksburg, Free admission, free parking, more admission at CamelliaCoy.org. CamelliaCoy.org for more information about that. Plenty of other garden uh, events going on, too. You can uh, head to FarmerFred.com and and read about them right there on the homepage, if you would like, and uh, find out more about what's uh, going on. One thing I would like to point out, too, next Saturday uh, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., the uh, Seroptimus International of Sacramento has their edible gardens tour in East Sacramento, and you can get more information about that by visiting their website, seroptimistsacramento.com, seroptimistsacramento.com. It's a really great garden tour, and this year it's edible gardens uh, throughout East Sacramento. Master Gardeners will be there to answer your garden questions as well there. All right, so that's going on. And coming up next on this very radio station, it's the KSTE Farm Hour, which uh, will start after the news at 12 o'clock. Among the topics we'll be talking about today, Hurricane Harvey. It has will have an effect on California agriculture. The Texas cotton crop is, uh, I won't say decimated, but it's uh, been severely damaged. We're going to find out more about that, as well as uh, the state of California's cotton crop, which may... Just see a little nice bump in prices. Also, we'll talk about the benefits of subsurface drip irrigation on alfalfa and also how to attract more bees to your orchards and fields. That's all coming up next on the KSTE Farm Hour, 12 to 1 o'clock right here on Talk 650 KSTE. Thank you for listening to this program. I appreciate your support. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.